I'm Floyd Hughes, the pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Jefferson Hills. And although we as Christians come from different denominations and cultures, we all have one job above all others, share the gospel. To help make that easier for every Christian, I've written an evangelism series, three books on evangelism for the whole family. The first book, Evangelism Easy as One, Two, Three, is the book for adults. The second book, Evangelism as Easy as ABC, is the book for youth and children. I wrote it with my eight-year-old niece because she has a great perspective on talking to her friends about Jesus. And the third book, The Evangelism ABCs, is a picture book for smaller children. Each book is age-specific and not meant to be a way to get people into our buildings, but they're resources to help Christians do the most important thing that God has called us to do, talk to the people in our circles of influence about the gospel. All the books are available in print or ebook format on Amazon today. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Welcome to our Sunday morning worship celebration uh, where we love celebrating Jesus because we honestly believe this is the best way to start your week, coming together as the people of God, uh, with the people of God, uh, in order to just worship God. I mean, there is no better way to start your week. I'm waiting for someone to say amen. Amen. There you go. All right. Um, I wanted to share a verse with you um, before we pray for our offering. Uh, How many people are familiar with the feeding of the 5,000? Anybody familiar with that in the Bible? Yeah, good. A lot of people... Um, Here's the thing. It's one of the most amazing miracles. It's in all four of the Gospels. And the Bible says, I mean, we call it the feeding of the 5,000. That's because there were 5,000 men there. But realistically, if you add women and children, uh, it was possibly, I don't know, I don't want to speculate, but theologians believe 7 to 10,000. Some say even as many as 15,000 because we know that more women come out than men to stuff like this. But um, I wanted to share a verse with you before we pray for our offering uh, from that account. Uh, And it's from John chapter 6. Like I said before, it's in all of the Gospels. John chapter 6 says this. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So Jesus knew, I have a plan. God always has a plan. Uh, Philip answered, hey, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. This I find amazing because just for us today, right, uh, average income, I think it's somewhere at 59, 61, somewhere around there in the United States, 60,000 a year. Let's say 60,000. Somebody Google it, make sure I'm not way off. 60,000 a year, average income in the United States, right? If you take half of that, it's 30,000. $30,000 going towards 15,000 people is about $2 a person, which works out to like one wing, half a hot dog, or a bite of a really good sub sandwich. 
because we know the price of food has gone like out of control. Or, or <laughs> you cannot even buy a cupcake, a really good one. <laughs> if you could buy a cheap one, but you cannot buy a really good cupcake for two bucks. So I think this is fitting because he says it's going to take half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of these people to have a bite of food. But this is awesome, and I love this, because this is how Jesus responds. Uh, another, of the, excuse me, another of the disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, spoke up, and he said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? And here's the thing. Jesus said, have the people sit down. And again, he already knew what he was going to do. He said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. So again, somewhere from 7 to 10 or probably 15,000 people in total. Then Jesus took the loaves. He gave thanks. He distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And I bring this up. And in context, this isn't about money at all. It's about God taking what we give multiplying it and using it, in this case, to feed people, right? And this is what we do with your tithes and offerings. We take what you give, right? And, and, and not to say that anyone's giving five loaves and two fish, but we take what you give and we give thanks for it just like Jesus did. This is why we spend time doing this. And then God uses it and he multiplies it and he uses it maybe not to feed people, but to provide spiritual food the truth of his word, to people in here in this room and to people outside in the community. That's why we spend time every Sunday, and i got to admit, sometimes I forget, but we try to spend time every Sunday giving thanks for your tithes and your offerings and for what you give. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand uh, as the band comes up. God, we're so grateful for Every single person, as we say every single week, who either gives or who attends or who shows up or who volunteers or who helps out or who is just a part of our family, whether they're watching online or they physically show up in the room. We're grateful for their presence. We're grateful for the people. We're grateful for every single dollar, and we pray that we are good stewards of it, and we pray that we give thanks for it, and we pray that just like we said, that we use it to spiritually feed the people in our community. And we give thanks to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. All right, as you are making your way back to your seats and getting situated, um, this morning we are winding down, I shouldn't say winding down, we are ending our summer-long series uh, where uh, we're talking about things. Why isn't the church talking about uh, all of these different things that you guys submitted when we asked the question, what should the church talk about more often? Um, here's, here's the thing. I want to recap really quick some of the things we talked about before we hit today's topic uh, because we started with negative talk, right? Why is the church talking more about the way that some Christians talk negatively to other people, and we said the, the Bible doesn't really leave room for that, for us to talk down to people, demean people, ridicule people, 
doesn't leave any room. Doesn't mean that we're a doormat and we let people walk all over us. We're supposed to stand up for ourselves, but it doesn't leave room for us to talk negatively about other people. Uh, and then we talked about prayer uh, and the fact that God always hears our prayers. He always answers our prayers. And when he answers, it's usually yes, or it's usually not yet, or one of the final answers, the one we, we struggle with is, I have something better, because he doesn't always tell us right away, here's the better thing. But he does have something better for us, right? Uh, and then we talked about apologetics, and we did like three weeks on that. We were going to do four, but we did three weeks on that, talking about the way that Christians are supposed to defend the faith. We are supposed to stand up uh, for the word of God. We are supposed to reveal God's truth. And we said two of the most crucial things of that is, one, Truth, understanding that truth, there is, there is this thing called objective truth. Truth doesn't change uh, based on your culture or time or anything. Truth is truth. One plus one is always going to be two, has been since before the universe will be created, will be in a new heaven and earth. One plus one is always going to equal two. That's just the truth. That's just the way it is. God's truth is the same. The second thing is that God reveals his word through his word, which is true. Doesn't matter how many people try to come against it and say it's a fairy tale or uh, your sky daddy this or whatever they say, doesn't matter. The word of God is still true. Uh, but then that led us to the discussion about suffering, right? Because we see a lot of suffering in this world. And we said, one, yeah, that's because we live in a fallen world. But also, it's okay to, to, to vent, to, to be upset, to be angry, and even to be upset with God about the suffering. And we did a real high-level walk through the book of Job. Uh, where that's basically what Job did, is vent about his suffering. But we have to be careful uh, not to cross a line. It's one thing to complain to God about our suffering. It's another thing to cross a line and be disrespectful to God or blame him for our suffering when he is not at fault. Because 99.9% .9 of the suffering that goes on in this world is caused by other people in this world. God's not the one who's gone, gone out and causing all the murder and killing that we see in all of our cities. God's not the one who goes out uh, and, and instead of taking the time and spending the money for appropriate diseases, uh, spends it in all these other places, right? So we don't get to blame God for the suffering, but we can cry out to him because of the suffering. And then we talked about LGBTQIA stuff. And here, it, it, it just it always gets people upset as soon as you put those letters on screen. But God makes it crystal clear. Um, he has rules, just like we have rules. And in his rules, whether we like it or not, they include uh, sexuality. But he also makes it clear people that don't obey those rules, whether it's because of sexuality or some other sin or some other thing they're engaged in, we don't get to demean them, ridicule them, or treat them like an enemy because that's not how God treated us when we were his enemy. The way that God treated us is he loved us enough to send his son to die for us while we were still enemies. So yeah, we're supposed to stand up and say, hey, this is wrong, but we're not supposed to condemn, ridicule, and demean the people engaged in those wrongs. We're still supposed to care enough about them to bring the truth of God's word to them in a God-honoring and respectful way. Not going into that whole sermon again, although that's what that sounded like. Uh, but then last week we talked about what happens when we die. And pretty much, long story short, you go to one of two places. You either go into God's presence to spend an eternity with God, or you go to what the Bible calls hell, 
where you spend an eternity um, getting what you wanted, which is separation from God and having no part to do with them. So um, those were all, and there's a couple more. Those are just the highlighted ones. There's a lot of stuff we spent talking about over the last 12 weeks. Now, what we're going to do this morning uh, is we're going to spend um, this last week or morning in this discussion, in this series, looking through the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, because someone asked this question, because I asked you guys, but as I said, I asked, also asked online, what should the church talk about? And Melissa said, not this Melissa, but said, hey, two things, how to love LGBTQ in a godly way. We already talked about that. But here she said, why does the church not teach about revelations? And I had to take everything in my heart not to correct her and say remove the S, but that's not, that's not the point. But she has a good point, because if you've looked anywhere online, in addition to people talking about aliens on Earth, a lot of people are talking about, oh, we're in the end times. Oh, we're, 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 you know, there are people getting implants in their hand, and it's the mark of the beast, and oh, this, and oh, that. And it hurts my heart, because there are a lot of people um, who don't, pastors, don't teach about the book of Revelation, so you end up with people who are talking about the book of Revelation, but they've never read it, they've never been taught what's in it, so they just make up stuff and come up with all kind of, and, and I'm going to show you this, um, and try to do it in a respectful way so I'm not ridiculing people, but there are a lot of people that come up with some crazy stuff. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because a couple of months ago, uh, we did a series called As in the Days of Noah where we talked about the end times, which is what the book of Revelation is about. It's about what's going to happen in the end times. And the spiritual thing, it's the pouring out of God's wrath. And it, a lot of people are like, but it's not real because all that stuff can't be real. I'm like, how can it not be real when you have a supernatural God pouring out his wrath on humanity, you have the intersection between, you know, our reality and God's wrath, and it's going to be brutal. And I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're not there yet, right? So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm not going to go through the entire book of Revelation, but I'm just going to highlight three of the biggest things that people make mistakes about when it comes to the book of Revelation. There's so much we could go into. We could spend like the next month talking about the things that people get wrong. But three of the biggest things, the first one is identifying the Antichrist. And don't raise your hand, but how many of you have seen people online saying, oh, we know who the Antichrist is, the Antichrist is this person or that person. Raise your hand with this, and you may not remember. How many people remember when people said Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist because he had... Ronald, and his middle name had six letters, and his last name had six letters. Okay, there were people, granted, the internet was not a big thing back then, but there were people claiming Ronald Reagan is the Antichrist, which we now know is not true, okay? Uh, but here's the thing. The Bible gives not who it is, but it gives some very clear specifics regarding the Antichrist, which is why, again, people aren't reading their Bible. So here's the thing. Uh, first... I'm going to turn to um, 2 Thessalonians. And for those of you who want to turn to the book of Revelation, uh, we're going to spend some time looking at Revelation 13 and 14. But again, I'm going to put all the verses up here on screen. So Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica and 2 Thessalonians. They had, they had written him saying, hey, we're kind of concerned 
because people have written to us and said that they were told by you that Jesus had already returned and we missed it, like his second coming. We missed it. We're not going to be a part of God's kingdom. We missed it. So Paul writes them a letter and says, hey, don't be deceived. Don't be alarmed uh, by people with false teaching. Uh, people come and saying, I got a prophecy or this, that, or the other. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. And that word deceive, we talked about means to pull away from the truth. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed the man doomed to destruction. Uh, now, here's the thing. Uh, he says, don't let anyone deceive you because the return of Christ to the earth, the bodily, physical return of Christ to the earth, it's not going to happen until at least two things take place. The first one is the rebellion occurs. Some versions say the great apostasy or the great falling away. It's where people in droves will be falling away from the church. We're seeing some of that today, but not on the scale that we're going to see in the end times, it's going to be uh, uh, magnified a hundred or a thousand times more than people you see falling away today, right? And, and he says, that man of lawlessness will be revealed. So you're going to see the rebellion, and you're going to see the man of lawlessness revealed. That's one of the ways the Antichrist is referred to, and we'll talk about more specifics why in a minute. But one of the reasons is because he's going to oppose everything that God says is good. He's referred to as the man of lawlessness because he is going to promote everything that violates God's morality, right? And it says that he is doomed to destruction. Uh, Paul goes on and he says he, this man of lawlessness or the Antichrist, will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship. And then he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So he's going to set himself up and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm better than God. I am more than your God. And now you need to worship me as God. And when he sets himself up in a temple, which doesn't exist yet, because it was destroyed in 70 AD, hasn't been rebuilt. But in order for this to take place, it will need to be rebuilt, right? So um, he's going to proclaim himself to be God. Now, Paul says, and this is one of the most important verses to me. I find this amazing. Paul says, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? Paul was with the church in Thessalonica for three weeks. In the three weeks he was there, he said, according to him, I taught you these things. So Paul, knowing I only have three weeks to teach you the things that I need to teach you that are important. Yes, I need to teach you about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, I need to teach you how to live your life as a Christian. But Paul also thought it important enough to teach about the return of Christ so that they don't be deceived so that no one could fool them. And he says, and this is key, now you know what is holding him, the Antichrist, back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. There is an appointed time when the Antichrist will be revealed, and when he is, he's going to exalt himself above the things of God, and uh, there's so much more that goes into this, but look at what he says. The secret power of lawlessness is already at work. How many people realize that there are already people opposed to God's morality doing things in our culture. We see that every day. We see it on the news. We see it in TV. We see it around the world. But the one, this is key, who now holds it back, it being that lawlessness, will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. So Paul says, there is someone who is holding back the full onslaught 
of the Antichrist who wants to bring on this lawlessness, everything that violates God's morality. And he says, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. He says, there is someone that is preventing full-on Lord of the flies, lawlessness, do what you want, do whatever you want to people, kill, murder, destroy, take whatever you want. He says there's someone holding it back. He says there is one person holding it back, and many theologians, I agree, believe that's the Holy Spirit. And then you get into this discussion, which is why many people believe when it talks about, uh, he says that the Holy Spirit, this one holding it back will be removed, Right? Uh, people believe that that's when the Holy Spirit will be removed from the earth. The Christians that are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, when the Holy Spirit goes, it's not like, okay, we, we lose our Holy Spirit. We go with him, which is why, anyone remember all those movies like left TV shows Left Behind and movies and all that stuff where it talks about all the Christians disappear? Because there's going to be a point where God says, okay, you know what, enough. I'm going to remove my spirit from the earth, and things will get progressively worse and worse and worse. Because the Antichrist will step in. He's going to create what, this, what the, the world looks at as this global kumbaya. It's because everyone will have the free will to do whatever you want to whomever you want. And since people are not restricted by what they're doing, they're going to be extremely happy but then three and a half years later, he's going to proclaim himself to be God, and he's going to subjugate the entire world. Now, if you look in the book of Daniel, it gives us more information about the Antichrist, right? He says, he, this is Daniel saying, he, an angel, gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trampling down and crushing it. And I know I'm throwing this at you, but this is why reading the Bible is so, under, under, so key and understanding it in context is so key. What Daniel says is there's going to be, and we talk, the other beasts are other nations, world-dominating nations. He says there's going to be another beast, and it's a fourth kingdom. So another kingdom will appear on the earth, which kind of means it's not one that's already here. Some new type of kingdom is going to appear on our earth, and it will be different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth. It will dominate the whole earth. But then he goes on and he says this, the ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. Whatever this kingdom is, I have no idea. Some people say it could be ten religious things. Some people say ten nation confederacy. Some people say it could be ten uh, 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 corporations that just dominate the whole world because they're like the richest and the wealthiest. I have no idea, but whatever it is from that are going to come ten kings, ten, and they could be governors, they could be princes, they could be kings, they could be whatever presidents, whatever you want to call them, and after them another king will arise different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three of them, and then, and this is the Antichrist, he's going to speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. And the holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a times. That's biblical language for three and a half years. Right? So what this is making clear, just bear with me, is that Daniel says uh, he was shown a vision by an angel that there is going to be uh, this world-dominating kingdom that comes up. 
Out of that kingdom are going to rise like 10 rulers. One of those rulers is going to step forth, take over three. That's going to be the Antichrist. He's going to oppress the people of God. He's going to try to change the Jewish laws and the systems. And then he's going to just rain down nothing but misery for three and a half years. This specifically is talking about the Antichrist. If you read this, it makes it really hard to pin that on any global leader today, right? Uh, because it says, the court will sit, his power will be taken away, he'll completely be destroyed, sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms will be handed over to the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This person is going to try to set up and um, run a kingdom and have himself be worshipped, but Jesus is going to overthrow that and give the kingdom, as promised, to God's people. When you read this, and there's so many other verses, and I grant it, you have to look through, it's hard to look out and say something like, I watched a video naming King Charles as the Antichrist. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but King Charles didn't come to power by subduing three other kings from some new 10-whatever-nation government that dominated the world. Now, Great Britain was the last world-dominating nation. They are not anymore. I mean, they had at one time, I think it was 25 or 26% of the world's population under their domain. They don't. They're not a new nation. They're not a part of a 10-nation confederacy. He did not come to power by subduing three other kings. He came to power because his mom, who was the queen, died. So this cannot be. And so someone asked me, I said, do more research. I'm begging you to investigate. It's him. He's the Antichrist. And you don't see it, but my response to her was, do some Bible reading. It's not. He's not the Antichrist. Now, I, I'm, I'm big enough to admit, I could totally be wrong. They could suddenly form some new nation uh, of which he's in charge, and ten kings come up, and he takes power. But... I'm looking at what the Bible says, and this is what they're looking at. Um, he has a coat of arms that looks demonic, right? Uh, it looks like Revelations, and there's a book out called Antichrist and a Cup of Tea. And I'm like, yeah, but there's also a book out called the Bible that doesn't leave a lot of room unless a whole lot of, I mean, England, after being a nation for, for, for how many years they've been a kingdom, I don't know how many thousands of years, suddenly has to say we're no longer going to be a sole kingdom. We're going to submit ourselves and become a part of this new kingdom that's ruled by ten other people. So these are the types of things. That I know you guys, you're looking at me like I'm crazy, but they hurt my heart because it's obvious that people aren't reading the Bible they're reading books called Antichrist and a Cup of Tea, and they're watching YouTube videos, and that's where they're getting their theology from about the Antichrist, but also about identifying the mark of the beast. I have seen more videos this week about people getting chips in their hands, and that's the mark of the beast, than I did, and we're not letting those people off the hook, the people who claim that the vaccine was the mark of the beast. And here's the thing. If the people making these videos are the same people who claim the vaccine was the mark of the beast, I have no reason to believe you because you were wrong about that, and I know for a fact you're wrong about this, okay? Because here's what the Bible says. In Revelation, the book of Revelation, uh, it gives very clear, a distinct, 
here's what the mark of the beast is. It said people worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. They also worshipped the beast and asked who was like the beast. Who can wage war against it? The dragon is Satan. That's who the dragon is. That's who the book of Revelation is talking about. People worship Satan because Satan had given authority to the beast, the Antichrist. And they worship the beast, and they said, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against the beast? Because he's this great government ruler. And for people that say that no one's going to worship the beast, there are people accused of worship Trump. There are people accused of worship Biden. There are people accused of worship, I can't even pronounce his name, whatever, who was in the Republican thing. Doesn't matter who you like. If you like them, they're going to accuse you of worshiping them, especially if you defend them. And so when the beast comes on the stage, people are going to worship him. And it goes on and it says, and this is key, then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. Now, understand that Revelation has a lot of poetic language. That was key in that day. And when it says, like the lamb, it's talking about like the lamb of God. So there's going to be this false prophet who comes. All right, this is a lot, so maybe our next summer series next year will be big overview of the book of Revelation. But uh, it says that there was this second beast, this, this false prophet who comes, and he's going to be very Christ-like, but he's going to speak like Satan. He's going to twist the word of God. He's going to lie about the word of God. And he's going to get people to worship the beast. The second beast, this false prophet, was given power by Satan to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship that image to be killed. So there's going to be this huge statue built, right? And that statue, because of the power of Satan given to this false prophet, is going to come to life. People are going to be like, oh my gosh, it's speaking. And then they're going to they're going to listen because he's going to cause, this is what the statue is going to say, anyone who refuses to worship this image is going to be killed. And I know it sounds fantastic, and people are like, none of this is going to happen. But here's the thing. All of the technology we see happening today is not from the devil, but it's going to be used to make a lot of this happen. So it, think about this. Because I watch a lot of, way more YouTube than I should. But there's a lot of videos that you see where there's like robotic things and they're talking and they're moving, just like humans. So it's not weird to me that someone's going to build this huge statue, and all of a sudden it's going to come to life, and it's going to speak, and it's going to say whoever doesn't worship the beast or the, false, the antichrist, is going to be killed. But here's what else it says. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark. The mark, pay attention, is the name of the beast or the number of its name. The mark is not a chip that you can use to buy. The mark is a visible sign that people see. Anyone Back in the day, when we all used to go to nightclubs, because none of us do that anymore, and even if we wanted to, way too old, they, I'd, I'd, I'd be home by nine. But back in the day, when they used to put the stamp on your hand, because if you left, and then they were like, I was already in. I have the stamp. See the stamp? They, they, they put the stamp on my hand. I'm not trying to sneak. It's a visible sign. It's not the technology that you use to buy. It's a sign so that the merchants can say, 
Are you with the beast? You are? Okay, you can buy. When you go buy, you can scan your hand, you can scan your phone, you can scan your card, you can pull out cash, you can pay in crypto coin, you can pay with, you know, whatever they determine. The technology in your hand that allows you to buy, it may be weird. It's something I'm definitely not going to do because I don't want people putting stuff inside my body. All right? uh, definitely something I'm not going to do, but if you do it, kudos to you. It's not the mark of the beast, but it's technology that will definitely, obviously, be used at that time. Right? Because everyone's going to have to, if you are, you get the mark, you're going to buy stuff. But this is what the Bible says, though, of Revelation 14. A third angel followed them, said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. And this is what people don't realize. When this happens, it's the pouring out of God's wrath. People walking in and getting a chip in their hand so they can go to Whole Foods, and I can't even afford to shop at Whole Foods, but so they can go to Whole Foods and just scan their hand and stuff, that's not God's wrath. That's Amazon making money. That's not the wrath of God. But this is where God will pour out his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. A chip in your hand, a, a, a vaccine in your shoulder, whatever those things are, those are not the mark of the beast. Because number one, the beast has to be identified to command it, right? Which we don't have that yet. And number two, it's not a technological thing. It's a visible sign. And you getting that visible sign says, I am willing to worship the beast, which is why God says he's going to pour out his wrath on you if you do. Does that make sense to everybody? So we can't, we shouldn't, but we can make fun of the people who get the chip in their hand and go out and do all that stuff. Honest, I would be a little bit jealous of them, but I just don't want people cutting into me. But yeah, it's cool. We can make fun of them, but we can't call them satanic, demonic, and we cannot call it the mark of the beast. So uh, here's the thing. This calls for and patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. That's for the people there, but it's also an, an something that we today need to understand. We, we, if we, we're so in that mindset that we're in the end times that we look at anything that's happening and we say, it's here, it's here, it's here, and we just need to be patient. God has a time, as we read, when, when he's going to let all these things go into motion, and truth be told, we don't want to be here. But that's the other thing, uh, the last thing really quick. Uh, people are wrong about identifying the Antichrist. They're wrong about identifying the mark of the beast. And they're wrong about identifying the end times. We are not in the end times yet. We're in what Jesus calls the birth pangs, right, of an end time. And I feel awkward even talking about this because, you know, not a woman, never been pregnant. Uh, and 
just don't want to be. Uh, but when those birth pangs start, we know that something beautiful, powerful is about to happen. It's leading up to something big. And that's what these are. Because um, here, here, here's what the book of Revelation says, all right? And yeah, we do need to do, we'll do this next summer, God willing, and if you guys are still interested. Who knows what will be going on in the world next summer, and we may not want to do this, but God willing, and if you guys are still interested, we'll do an overview of the book of Revelation next summer. Um, when you look through the book of Revelation, the first couple of verses, or the first couple of chapters, are about um, John indicating, here's what this is about. It's about Jesus uh, communicating to John, here's some letters I want you to send to the church, and those have relevant significance to people in those days and spiritual significance to us today. But when you look at the first things that start to happen that impact the people on the earth, they're not good. And this is how we know we're not in the end times yet. In chapter 5, this is where you first start to see things happening that impact the people on earth. Uh, John says, then I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? The very first thing that we see that happens and impacts the people on the earth is the opening of these seals. And after all the worship for Jesus opening the seals, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, I watched as the land Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. And he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. And what you're going to see over the next couple of verses, the first thing that impacts the earth from the standpoint of, like, the book of Revelations, the end times, is mass murder, sickness, war, death, natural disasters on a global scale that wipes out one quarter of the Earth's population. So for me, it's really easy to look and see that, we are not in the end times yet. We're in the birth pangs. We see murder every single day. You turn on the news. In some city, there's been one, two more mass shootings, killing people at a nightclub, out of this, out of that. Um, uh, we see uh, sickness and, and, and plague. We see, you know, natural disasters and fires. We see all this. But think that, let me show you this. 2020, the population of the earth was about 8 billion people give or take. We had a global pandemic. Millions of people died. We're in 2023. You know what the population of the Earth is right now? About 8 billion people. We are not in the end times. We're in what Jesus called the birth pangs. When we get to the end times, you will see one quarter Two billion people, the equivalent of China and India being wiped off the map. That many people, well, they have, you know, that would be more like close to three billion, but two billion people in a very short period of time dying and wiped off the map. We haven't seen that. We, again, are in what Jesus calls the birth pain. 
Because Jesus said that nation will rise against nation. We see that. Kingdom against kingdom, and you can even, it's culture against culture, political parties against political parties, uh, uh, these people against that people. We see that. We see famines. We see earthquakes. We see all of this happening, and he says, these are just the beginnings of birth pains, which means it's going to get so much worse than just this. And he says, many false prophets will appear and deceive many, turn people away from the truth. We see that. And because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. We see that. We see wickedness increasing. We see, and it's not that people are bad people. It's just that people's hearts are turning cold. No one is crying anymore because they turn on the news and see that three or four people were shot in their town in some kind of incident. They're saying, okay, that happened, and they're going, and they're putting their toast in a toaster and going about their day because we're being so accustomed and conditioned to this type of violence. But then he goes on, and he says this, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It's not going to come because somebody introduces technology to put a chip in their hand. It's not going to come because somebody writes a book and says, well, this person is the Antichrist, or this person is the Antichrist. The end is going to come when God's will has been done, when God's people rise up and we share his word, his love, his goodness, and his grace to every corner of the earth. And then God says, okay, now all of you come with me. He's going to move his Holy Spirit. All of us who are filled with it are going to be gone. And it is going to be global chaos on the earth. So as the band comes up, I want to share this, I want to share this with you because... I had someone message me the other day and said, hey, if we're supposed to be spending all this time and we're supposed to be loving one another and we're supposed to be doing this, why do we see all these people, you know, arguing about, you know, whether or not you do baptism this way, arguing about politics, arguing about this, why do we see the people of God not focused on the thing that's going to help us, right, usher in God's kingdom, why do we see the people of God not focused on doing the thing that God has called us to do? And my thing is, if you look, if you look, you do see that. You see the people of God doing the thing that they're supposed to do, showing the love of God to people in their circles of influence. Now, not to call them out, but I was, um, when we had our burger thing yesterday, initially, uh, Adam and Heather were going to show up, but they were like, hey, we can't go because we've got a day of blessing. And they were able to help how many? Seven, seven families just give furniture to them. And I don't know how many of those you got to pray with, hopefully all of them. All of them. Amen, amen. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And, and, and this is funny, and I didn't ask their permission to share this, but I'm going to share it anyway because they're not here. But yesterday, when I got home from the burger thing, I was sitting on the couch. I was tired because the weather was great. And the burger thing was good. I was, like, ready to go into a food coma because I had a lot of burgers. And I saw a post from Glenn Wagner. And I was like, maybe I've read this wrong because he was talking about delivering free pizzas to people who lost power. And part of me wanted to go, if I turn off my lights and AC, can I get a pizza? Because, like... <laughs> I love their pizzas, and they don't make them anymore. It's not a part of their menu. And I was like, no, I won't do that, because it will take away, if I post that, it'll kind of like 
make a joke out of something that they're doing out of the kindness of their heart to help other people. But if you look, you will see things like that. People using their resources to just do good, to help people in the community, to share and to show. That's the important thing, to show the love of Christ to a hurting and broken world. That's what we're supposed to do. We're not here to promote all these other things. We're not here to argue. We're not here to argue about people that don't want to know God's word. Hey, that's on you. You have fun with that. We're here to share and show the love of Christ. We are on a rescue mission. The church is not going to make the world a better place with some great kumbaya, and we all live by God's rules. If the word of God is true, and we know that it is, especially if you've been listening to this series, it's going to get worse. We're here to save as many as we can by sharing the gospel with them so they might experience God's goodness, grace, love, and mercy. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. God, we realize that we live in a hurting and broken world, and there's so many needs, so many things that people need in this world. We realize that there are so many people that are dealing with addictions, dealing with broken homes, dealing with hurting marriages and relationships. But we also realize that there is a God who can do and heal and help all of those people. But we also know that there is a God who can change their lives. And all we have to do is tell them about you. And we pray that we take that mission to heart. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.